0: when we started epic angels initially we said we invest in everyone doesn't matter male founder female founder because our focus is female investors not female founders however what we quickly learned is that you put a team of all guys in front of a team of all women female investors doesn't go that well the chemistry simply isn't there. So, my theory about this as well is unfortunately, if you put an all female team in front of all male investors, you probably have the same dynamics as we saw with all male teams. And what you see as well, specifically in early stage investing, I mean, it's so uncertain. You have absolutely no clue what this company is going to do. And then you're trying to find every little piece of certainty that's out there. And if that is that men-to-men thing or woman-to-woman thing, right, whatever that is, where it's coming from, you grasp onto that, like, yes, okay, there's at least something that I can hold on to. So I feel that the reason, a big reason why this funding gap is there is that there's simply not enough female investors.
1: Welcome back to The Purpose Effect, the podcast about purpose-driven businesses and what we can learn about solving some of the world's biggest problems from the women who are solving them. I'm Elena Kersey, and I'm on a mission to learn how we can build better, better work, stronger communities, a healthier planet. If you believe there's a better world out there waiting for us, then this podcast is for you. Diversity is key to innovation. And innovation is key to a healthy startup ecosystem. But despite all of this, there isn't enough diversity at the top of the startup ecosystem, where the money sits. And that has impacts all the way down the pyramid. Micah Doya started her career as a management consultant, but she's an entrepreneur at heart. And I think the moment in this conversation when I really understood that was when Micah explained that to her, failure isn't really that big of a deal. It just means something didn't work. And if it didn't work, it's an opportunity to make things better. Micah left Management Consulting to start Business Models, Inc., the company that created the Business Model Generation book, and which describes itself as a team of entrepreneurial spirits on a mission to design, build, and grow better businesses. That startup took Micah from Amsterdam to San Francisco, but then the itch to build and to innovate struck again. Micah landed in Singapore in the middle of a pandemic, and that entrepreneurial spirit in her set to work on how she could make an impact on the startup scene here in Asia-Pacific. Together with her co-founder Hester, she set up Epic Angels with the aim of diversifying and democratizing angel investment by getting more female investors into the ecosystem. We talk about everything from what she looks for in a founder to how to find opportunities when your back is up against the wall. And we also talk about what female investors bring to the table. I can honestly say that no matter what you do or what you're working on, there's something in this conversation for you. So let's get to our chat with Micah Doyer, founder of Epic Angels. But before we do, I'm going to pour myself a hug and a mug with a cup of tea bird tea. I love tea bird tea. And not just because the packaging is absolutely beautiful, although it is, or because the tea is organic and comes in biodegradable tea bags, although it does, but because I love the way T-Bird Tea's founder, Ashley Cotterell, uses her business to support other businesses doing good. Ashley partners with brands and not-for-profits doing good for people and planet because she believes that this is how you build sustainable businesses. And I couldn't agree more. So if you want delicious, healthy, beautifully packaged tea that makes impact, you can get 20% off using the code HUGINAMUG20. I'd recommend the Earl Grey and Orange. It's my favorite.
0: I've been working at Arthur Anderson, Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Indeed, they're all the same. I really had a great time, specifically if you're just graduating, I think it's, such an amazing learning curve that you get through if you're a consultant specifically at those those large ones the responsibility that you're getting the type of industries that you're looking into it's amazing Um, I was at the stage where I was in the partner trajectory and so I was up for partnership and um, unfortunately those large companies they have fixed vision of what a partner should look like and what a partner should do and not do. And in that whole partner trajectory, they sort of tried to fit you in that cookie cutter. I did the latter. I was like, yeah, no, this is just not for me. I felt I got squeezed into something that I wasn't, that wasn't in my beliefs. Actually, a colleague of mine who who jumped ship a little earlier and he's like, hey, I'm on this new thing, uh, business models want to join and I said sure why not so that was a good time and although my husband definitely played a big role in in helping me that push it was a little scary to leave your comfortable uh, corporate life because yes it's a very comfortable life into this uncertain uh, small enterprise company where you had no clue we didn't even have an office we were just three people at that moment It was a little scary. And my husband rightfully said, like, what do you got to lose, right? If it doesn't work out in one or two years, you can always go back into the big four. True, right? So I jumped out and I never looked back. I was so happy I made that jump. You know, only afterwards is when you realize that they started to put you in that cookie cutter. When you jump out, you're like, hey, hold on. Because the firm was pretty upset, actually, that I left. So you're like, oh, but you were as high potential on our list. You're That female partner, because specifically back then, female partners were pretty rare. Yeah. And I was like, why didn't you tell me before? Because the whole reason that I'm leaving is that I'm not getting the freedom and I'm not getting the freedom to be more entrepreneurial which was the skill they actually liked about me. (laughs) I'm not getting the space. If you would have told me, we could have done something together, but they didn't.
1: Do you think they would have given you that space though? Because when you said cookie cutter, there's one thing about freedom to be entrepreneurial, but what about the other freedoms that you might have needed to stay in that role? I was a lawyer, so I have some familiarity Mm -hmm. with how partnerships work in general. And Yes, there could be freedom for, to be entrepreneurial, but with a very particular mindset. And I wonder if, you know, even had they spoken to you about that earlier, how much of a difference do you think it would have made? Was it really the right track for you? Um, I,
0: I don't know. I, I would not be surprised if I would have. But it all depends on like what, what do they see as entrepreneurial? What do I see as entrepreneurial? Of course, yeah, there's, there can be many differences in that. Yeah. And then what was Business Models, Inc., BMI? So BMI, as I said, we were just three people, nothing there yet, uh, working on this book called Business Model Generation, uh, being the business model canvas book that a lot of people that are working in, well, actually both corporates and startups might have heard about it. So we were just launching that book I remember we were saying, like, ooh, if we can sell 10,000 copies of that book. That's going to be amazing. Well, it turned out to be more than 4 million these days. Um, and basically what we did is we helped corporates how to innovate like startups. Okay. Bring that startup mindset into the business. Because what I learned in the Big Four, I mean, I wrote so many beautiful business plans. Uh, but what happens, you present it to the board and then it ends up somewhere in the closet and gathers dust, right? And and nothing is really changing. So what we felt with BMI, like we need to do a different approach to consulting. It's not about the consultant doing the work for you. It's the consultant doing the work with you. It's all about like, how can you help the organizations to obtain the right tools, skills and mindsets to indeed be more innovative be more entrepreneurial um specifically when it comes to innovation in an organization in those large organizations people are a little stuck in their way of working so we help them to get unstuck by doing it themselves not by doing it for them and because there's there's enough consultants that do that already so so that was that's what we were doing at bmi
1: and bmi took you from amsterdam to san francisco is that right Yes, I was the
0: global CFO, and we were working fast on our expansion all over the world. Uh, U.S., we were flying in and out all the time, and we also knew if we're really serious about the U.S., one of us has to go there, so either the CEO or me, and um, I was just a lucky one to end up going there with my family situation. My husband quit his job for me. He was working at a large bank, and he quit his job and went with me to, uh, to San Francisco, and we set up shop there. And was your husband also working in BMI or he just, no? No, he just quit his job and he just tagged along. I mean, yes, in the beginning, he definitely was my uh, support in everything. I found a business partner local in San Francisco. I think that's very important if you expand international to find someone local on the floor that can be your business partner. So Justin was my, uh, my business partner there, but we didn't have any other employees yet. We were first getting the company off the ground with just the two of us. So, yeah, then my husband jumped in here and there as well. <laughs> that yeah. was just more on the side with a couple of things to help me out while he was searching for his next job because uh, he was uh, he was still
1: looking for that definitely in the beginning. What were those early days like? Because the U.S. is a really fast-moving market and you were in the middle of probably the fastest part of it. What yes. was it like? What was that ride like? Was it exciting? Was it scary at times? Well, the first three months,
0: three, six months, I would say were amazing. You know, it's really like that honeymoon period. Uh, You just arrived and you feel amazing. Like, whoa, yes, right. I made it here to the United States. Everything is exciting. Everything that you run into is new. And you're like, oh, that's so fun. That's so cool. We got amazing projects right from the get-go. We worked for brands like Panasonic, Audi, right? Like really big brands out there which is super cool, um, especially when you can do that right from the start, hired our first employees and so on. So that went really well. After six months, we got a little bit in a dip. That was also the moment my husband still didn't have a job. Um, San Francisco is really expensive; it's crazy, crazy expensive. And when you go as an entrepreneur, if there's no revenue, there's no income, right? That's that's yeah. of course correlated. So we saw our savings drying up. Business in the beginning it was really great, and we were just focused on executing those projects instead of further expanding the markets. And then I remember after those first six months, I looked at my husband like, "Okay, oh shit." We really, something needs to happen in the next three months. Um, because if it doesn't, we have to go back to Europe. That this just simply won't work. We can't sustain this. But I think always in life, when you get into that, oh shit, situation where right, you're like, okay, we're stuck. Right? <laughs> if, if really we have to get out of this, then something happens. Always, right? Because there is that sense of urgency and that's exactly what happened at that moment as well with bmi right because you're you're like okay whatever i did the past 6 months has not led to the results that i anticipated I was basically doing whatever I did in Europe and copied that in, in the U.S., but that simply doesn't work, right? You have yeah. to really adjust to the local situation. And those are usually very tiny little things that you don't even realize in the beginning that they're different. Uh, but after those six months, luckily, with my local business partner, we started to get through that and could change it around. And that really helped us to to grow very, very fast.
1: I think that's really interesting that sometimes we all need like our backs to be pushed up against the wall a little bit in order to take the next step. And also maybe not spend so long trying to make something that might not be working work. If you believe in that whole kind of test and learn framework, it forces you to be like, okay, we've done the test. Now it's learning. Now we're changing tack a little bit. But then I, I find it amazing that you did it all again because you moved to Singapore, which is very different, again, the business environment here, culturally as well in Asia. I think many people who come to Asia from the US or Europe don't realize actually how many markets it is. It's often viewed as like a little bit of a one homogenous zone when it's really not. So when you got to Singapore, what was it that made you think you needed to start Epic Angels? What were you seeing in the environment that made you think that there was a gap here? So in San Francisco already, I was doing angel
0: investing. In San Francisco, it's basically hard not to, you know, you're just surrounded by it. And, and it's so mainstream. It's like getting a coffee. It's nothing special. So what happened, so I did an exit from BMI. Um, I was working there for 10 years and it was just time for a change. So I did an exit. And with that exit, well, I had to leave the country. It's as simple as that because your visa expires at that moment. Um, And then we found an opportunity in Singapore. And I was happy to actually be a complete different part of the world again. I mean, first time moving to Asia. And um, for me, when I arrived here, I had more time, more money. And I really liked that angel investment journey. I'm I'm a number person. I studied math. I was a CFO in a previous company. Numbers has always been my thing. So the whole investment world it has always had my attention and I've always been active in it. But now I have more time so I could be more active. Angel investing being one of them. So I started to knock on the door of a couple of the existing networks. But I felt it wasn't um, my type of environment. It was very old school. Okay. A lot of men. Um, it was old all that in a very traditional way and I was used to the more fast-paced San Francisco way of doing things. For example, people were saying, yeah, you have to invest at least 50k in a startup. It's like 50k, are you nuts, right? It's all early stage. I think that's too much money. I mean, in San Francisco, you can easily invest with a thousand dollars, a couple of thousand dollars, and that's, that was very mainstream. So, I couldn't find that around me. Uh, the other thing that I realized, because I I actually met so many interesting women in Singapore, way more than in any other part of the world. It's it's very funny. And and still to this day, it is. My husband always says like, wow, your female friends are way more interesting than my male friends. Um, And he's never said that his whole life. Um, He's actually even more the social one compared to me. And he's like, there's something in Singapore, the, the women are just way more interesting. They have interesting careers. They're out there there's just something happening. So I think that's been a combination. But what I also noticed is when I was speaking with these women, most of them left the financing and the investing things to the husbands. Right. That's very traditional. In my household, it isn't, I'm the one taking care of all of that. And for me, that was always normal. <laughs> I guess I learned quickly that's not normal. So with that combination about, okay, can't find a network here, I still want to do investing, plus all these interesting women, I just approached three of my friends and said, you know what, let's just do this together, the four of us, are you interested in making an investment? I understand the startup world, because with the whole business model of the San Francisco experience, I mean, I've been mentoring startups, been at accelerator programs, I knew my way around, like, good, I'm going to do that, Um, so they said, sure, yes, why not, and literally six weeks later, we made our first investments, And what was that investment? That was in Aroga. Aroga is an online pharmacy in Bangladesh. Um, A model that's proven anywhere else, but in Bangladesh, there are a lot of issues. There's a lot of fake uh, medicines on the market and um, a lot of shortages. You can go to a pharmacy. You can't find the right stuff there. Before you know it, you have to drive to 10 different pharmacies. They've been able to completely change that around and give people access to medication in in a very controlled way and even cheaper than through the regular pharmacies. I mean, we still really like them, actually. They're going into their third round now since we invested. And hopefully as Epic Angels, we're going to participate in that third round as well. And that's an upcoming one as well. So we invested within six weeks. So that was super fun. And what, what quickly happened was more angels started to knock on the door, more women. It's like, oh, this is fun, right? Women, can I join as well? But also more startups knocked on our door. Like, hey, you're women only we only have men on our cap table. Can you please invest in us as well? And at first I wasn't sure because it just started for myself. Um, Like, yeah, I just want to do investments. Um, But then over summer, we added one more woman to the team. Like, okay, let's see how that goes. Now we're a team of five. Went really well. So then in November of that year, now a year and a half ago, I decided, you know what, let's open our doors. And together with Hester uh, and myself, uh, we said like, yep, we have the time and the energy uh, to actually go big in on this and really open this up and lower the barrier to enter for women into angel investing. And that's what we
1: did. Yeah. And I think it's it's so important also from an education perspective, because as you were saying earlier, many women, even women who have high profile jobs and earn a lot of money are leaving the, a lot of the financial decisions around investment, maybe not purchasing decisions, but financial decisions around investment to their husbands. So from an educational perspective, I think it is a tool that anybody needs. Everyone, I think, needs to be able to understand what a P&L looks like. I think this is almost the same as being able to understand how to read your bank statements. It's just a basic piece of financial education we all need. And I have found the learning journey in Epic Angels like incredibly steep and hugely, hugely beneficial. But I want to talk a little bit about the funding gap for female founders, because in the last couple of years, it's actually gotten wider globally. When I have in the past spoken to VC networks, uh, I've often had the response that they would like to invest in more female founders, but they don't see them. And I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. Is that really true? Or is this bias? Is it female founders are not approaching certain kinds of networks? What are you seeing? Well, when we started Epic Angels, initially we said, we
0: invest in everyone. Doesn't matter, male founder, female founder, because our focus is female investors, not female founders. That was, that was when we took off. However, what we quickly learned is that you put a team of all guys in front of a team of all women, female investors, doesn't go that well. The chemistry simply isn't there. And... And it was really funny to see that. So at a certain point in time, we're like, okay, this simply doesn't work. An all male team. We have to change our investment thesis, our focus by saying, okay, at least one of those people has to be a woman. Doesn't have to be the founder or the co founder, even, but has to be a decision maker in the company. That's what we really want to see. We want to see that female leadership. <laughs> Uh, and and that changed. That really made a huge difference. So my theory about this as well is, unfortunately, if you put an all-female team in front of all-male investors, you probably have the same dynamics as we saw with all-male teams. And what you see as well, specifically in early-stage investing, I mean, it's so uncertain. You have absolutely no clue what this company is going to do. And then you're trying to find every little piece of certainty that's out there. And if that men that man-to-man thing or woman-to-woman thing, right? Whatever that is, where it's coming from, you grasp onto that. Like, yes, okay, there's at least something that I can hold on to. So I feel that the reason, a big reason why this funding gap is there is that there's simply not enough female investors. That's my assumption that I have about this. And that's why I'm know, so keen on growing the female investor base because we're starting at Epic Angels. People start small, but once you start it, you can grow bigger and you can get further into the whole VC world as an investor. And that's the thing that I really want to increase because my firm believes if we get more female investors, more female founders will get the funding that they deserve. And so that's, that's one thing. I think the other part as well is, Yes, there's also a lot of bias uh, because there's even now since we have that criteria, there has to be female leadership. I mean, we get so many deals every month. I can't choose. You know, I I still feel like a kid in a candy store, even though I limited it to only female leadership in whatever shape or form that is. I'm I'm even sometimes wondering, like, what if I would say I've invested every startup in the, in APAC, it would be really way too many so i'm actually glad that we narrow it down like this so i think it's also a matter of focus and keep your eyes open to it because it's easy to say they're not there i mean yes unfortunately i see specifically in some cultures like for example i'm pretty active in vietnam uh, where i'm part of an accelerator program this is an accelerator program empower is only for female founders we receive pitch decks and then i look at the pitch deck and i'm like hold on, they are just guys in there. So I say to the team in Vietnam, "It's like, how does that work? I said, no, 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 there's a female founder here as well. She just doesn't want to be on the pitch. That's interesting. It's a cultural thing as well. And that's, of course, what this program is about because the men aren't allowed in the accelerator program and the women will be the ones participating and they will also do all the pitching and everything, but still... Traditionally, there you also see um, it's, it's the men that are putting
1: themselves on the cover
0: and not so much the women.
1: That's interesting. I wonder if that also, you see a, a similar kind of mentality in other areas. Like, I'm interested if you see any differences between the kinds of businesses that women are founding and the kinds of businesses that men are founding and different approaches that men and women might have to raising capital. Because I notice anecdotally, women tend to bootstrap more and for longer. Is there also an issue that women are trying to find other ways to fund their businesses before they go to equity-based type of funding methods? Or they're founding different kinds of businesses, like businesses which don't need a lot of support in the zero-to-one phase.
0: Um, I'm not sure about that one. I do think that women, indeed, in general, are more uh, risk averse. I, I don't like that word. Uh, another way you can say it is risk aware um, okay. of, of everything that's happening around them. And that goes as well if you are a founder. It's not just you that you're putting out there, it's also your whole team. Uh, so if you are going to rely on funding, um, that means not only you are relying on funding, your whole team is relying on funding. You feel very responsible because, you know, you need to pay their salaries at the end of the month. Um, so I think in general, what I see is women are maybe a little bit more cautious about that. Like, hold on, right? I have this responsibility and it needs to go well. Maybe I grow a little slower, but then I know I, it can sustain and it can sustain in the longer term instead of fast and short and then oh that was a big bang and now it's over <laughs> you know that's i i think that that's a different approach where men tend to go more like let's go big and it's all or nothing right and and where women are like you know yeah we have the big ambition the ambition is definitely the same but you know let's take a bit more modest approach in reaching that with a bit more certainty and and then grow as we go um both from funding and from
1: revenue coming in as well. Uh, I do think that that's a difference. I think from an investor perspective, though, that's not a bad thing, right? To be dealing with a founder who is more risk-aware and maybe cautious about the kinds of spending decisions they might be making. Yeah, I do like mixed teams from that
0: perspective because I think you need both. You do need someone as well to, to push you, like, we can do this. It will all be all right. We can take this risk. Um, it's it's okay to go for it and to really go big, not stay too modest. And uh, I think all it's about the balance that you need to find uh, between that. I mean, I actually just yesterday spoke with another great team from, uh, from Vietnam, actually. Uh, and um, it was so good. Uh, they're very early stage. They literally launched a few months ago. But the team, you could see it like, yep, they're all it. The guy and the, and the girl, both of them, like, yes, you get it. And they were really helping each other. And I think as a team, again, um, yeah, they're going to get there.
1: I think diversity in any kind of team, right, is valuable, um, whether that's diversity of gender or diversity of experience, cultural background, those kinds of things are important. And I think the data shows that the more diverse your team is, you know, the better it can be for resilience of your business as well as some of the decision-making that's made. But in addition to more female investors in the landscape, are there any other things that you think we can do to level the playing field maybe and help female-led teams or teams with women attract more funding?
0: I mean, I do think... As female investors, what a lot of the female founders are telling me is, like, we need female investors on board as well. Right now, there's this other company from Pakistan, uh, Sahat Kahani, that we uh, invested in. And they also, they approached us and said, like, we only have men on our cap table. We are two female founders. We're a very women-focused business but all our board members are men because that's all our investors so we need female investors so that you can get on our board as well and and that's not only this one the same went for Habito in Japan where we did that like we need female investors we need to have that female representation as well because that will help me as a female founder because otherwise again for every AGM that I have every board meeting that I have it's me as a woman presenting in front of all men Um, that needs to be more Diverse, um, so that and of course everyone has the company in their best interest, but still you have that you just have that difference. It's just different, you know. It's not right or wrong. It's just different, and that diversity will help.
1: I was really interested to read that one of the founders of an Epic Angels portfolio company, Carmina Bayombong from Invested, she said, and and I'm just going to quote from her in this blog post that you recently posted. She said, from my experience, my female investors brought in a different approach and perspective in helping me succeed as a portfolio company. What I found the most helpful is that they were able to mix business and strategic advice with managing the life stages that I am navigating as a woman. So I think that's really interesting that female investors bring a different skill set to the table, which is also very valuable to founders. And I've heard this again and again in the founder calls that we've done. Founders specifically wanting to have women on their cap table and often really trying to prioritize uh, getting Epic Angels into their round.
0: Yes. And we see it more and more. Recently, another founder as well, uh, who's pregnant. And she was raising her around while being pregnant. So she said, thanks Zoom, right? And at least I don't need to show it. You get into different conversations because the the female group of investors, most of them um, have been through that phase themselves. And they know that being pregnant and getting a baby is not in the way of making a company successful. Uh, So it it really becomes a different conversation as female investors that you're having with that founder, where indeed you can also... Relate a bit better to the situation that someone is in or the things that they're running into. And indeed, you give your own life advice because in general, the investors are a bit further ahead in their, just in their careers. They're usually around their forties, their fifties, because you need to have some extra cash available, of course, to become an investor where the startup entrepreneurs in general are a little younger. So yes, you can see that there's a lot of that mentor mentee relationship that you can develop as well. Um, that does go beyond pure professional, but also like, hey, as a woman, how do you get there? How do you run teams? Um, and there was another company in Bangladesh that I was speaking with, and uh, the female founder as well. Like it's so interesting how they wanted to put me in an office really away from the floor, when I'm more person. Like, hey, I want to be on the floor, but no, you have to have that hierarchy. And how does that at work and and how do I find my place in here um as a as a leader and as a woman right? how do I make that combination and then it's so great to see the wisdom of all the female investors that are surrounding this founder to like hey this has been my experience these are the things that worked for me and maybe that will help
1: you as well and is that unusual to because epic angels when the group invest, it's they're never the lead investor. The check sizes are maybe comparatively small. Is it unusual to have that kind of mentor relationship with a business of whom you are quite a minority shareholder? No, usually you need to be
0: a larger shareholder to have that stake at the table. But indeed, because we're women, they are actually approaching us specifically for that, uh, for that reason. So that's. I really, really love that. And what you also see is that because all our investors, when we're in the process of making the decision whether or not we're going to invest in the startup, throughout that process, all the investors have the opportunity to speak with the founder. And we organize calls where you meet the founder. And I feel that that's also very different from the traditional angel investment that works. In traditional angel investment, that typically does not work. And maybe you see a bit of a pitch event, sure, but you don't have that more direct contact that we make sure happens within Epic Angels and what you ha- often see after those calls is then one-on-one people start to reach out to each other because there is that connection there is a little thing that you feel like yes that, that's how it really works or recently another thing there were two startup uh two portfolio companies of Epic Angels they send us their quarterly update and they I we all I always ask them like how can we help you? What can we do to help you out? They had very concrete, specific things like, hey, someone has contacts in the Philippines for so-and-so and so. Great. So So I just put that in the chat where all the investors are. And immediately, like within 30 minutes, I had about 10 responses uh, on, on my own WhatsApp message with people saying, oh yeah, I have a contact here. I have a contact there. And that was also about people that are not even investing in this company but it's all about like, hey, how can we help this, this portfolio company to be more successful? It's what I really love about it.
1: Yeah, I've used the Epic Angels group for questions like that myself. And it's amazing how quickly that if someone sort of says, hey, I need help with this, there is always someone in the group that has the answer and is willing to help you. But I wanted to ask, what do you look for in a founder? Not necessarily a female founder, what are the most important things for you?
0: Yeah, we say like we invest in founders that refuse to die. um, And at the same time, that choose agility over ego. And I think the don't refuse to die is because you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before. Or you're trying to do it in a different way because otherwise you're just a copycat of something that already exists, right? So startup always has a little angle, which means you run into a lot of walls. Like it, this is not how it works in this industry. It's never been done before. So the refuse to die is like, can you... Break through that wall, or like go under, over. I don't know what you need to do. Get a ladder to get over it, right? What is your way to ignore that wall and just get through it, get to the other side? So you you and you see that in in the way someone is responding, and at the same time, you shouldn't be too absorbed with your own idea and your own concepts. So that's the agility over ego. Um, You should constantly be out there checking the markets because your product can be the best product in the world. But if you don't know how to bring that across, no one will buy your products. Or your product can be the best in the world, but no one cares about it. Yeah, that's also not good. So you have to constantly be prepared to kill your darling and to really move on and listen to your customers not just listen, but observe them. What's their behavior? How are they interacting with your product, with your service? That That is something that I really want to see. So a founder who tells stories about, well, I spoke to a customer so-and-so, and this was what they told me. Like, yes, right? That's amazing. I'd rather hear that than my R&D team worked on it, and it's fabulous.
1: I'm also curious Uh Coming from the San Francisco scene to here in Singapore, what do you think the future looks like for startups here in Asia-Pac? Because as you said, you see so many pitches. There is so much activity happening. There is money available. And my experience is that it's very dynamic and there's a lot of really interesting solutions becoming available. But I'm interested to hear your perspective as well, having been in different sort of startup environments. Actually, just last week came back
0: from an eight-week trip through Europe and U.S. What's funny about Epic Angels is that our investors are not only coming from Asia, they're coming from all over the world. Uh, Actually, our second largest group is coming from the U.S. even. So in the U.S., I had a lot of um, dinners, drinks, uh, mixers with some of our female investors that are all interested to invest in Asia-Pacific because as Epic Angels, we currently only invest in Asia-Pacific, nowhere else. But the investors are coming from all over the world. And um, so we were having this debate. What I see in general, Europe is retired. I mean, I'm definitely exaggerated, right? But Europe is retired because people in Europe in general... Have a really good life. There is barely any poverty. It really barely is. Um, people living a great life, very luxurious life, very comfortable. Everyone has a job, has some good food at the table. So why would you risk things to become a startup entrepreneur? Um, so so that's in general what I see. Eastern Europe is a little different. I can see there's there's still some more movement, but mainstream Europe definitely. Uh, the U.S. is just self-absorbed, right? They they can't look beyond their own border. <laughs> it's just everything is focused on the U.S. Because like Epic Angels, also in the U.S., there are a couple of groups focused on female investors, but they only invest in the United States, where um, we, we invest in Asia Pacific. And what I see in Asia Pacific, where I really see the opportunity, I mean, right now, already, Asia is 45% of global GDP, and the prediction is that by 2030, that will be 51%. Whereas in the US, a lot of the conversations that I've heard were about recession. Um, yeah. I mean, I was speaking with a, with a female network, executive network. 60% of their members were currently in transition. That's insane. The whole job market. Um, what I've been seeing there, I've been speaking with, with quite some folks in the tech industry as well. Here in Asia... No one speaks about that. No one speaks about recession. No one speaks about the anxiety for your job. Everyone is just seeing all this growth potential. Like, how can we be part of this growth? You can see that many countries in Asia Pacific, specifically if you look at Southeast Asia, are entering sort of that middle class uh, segments. Uh, so more and more people of the population is entering that middle class, and with that come a lot of the middle class needs uh, that you have. Mm-hmm. So there's massive opportunity because this middle-class group has money, can actually yeah. spend on all things. The infrastructure is there. Definitely the mobile infrastructure is there. So that only enables m- more economic growth in this region. And I feel that that's what the focus is on in this region. And that's what makes me excited. Like, yes, right. There is that opportunity for growth and even sometimes it simply is a model that has worked somewhere else where you translated it to the local circumstances because there always has to be a bit of that translation. You have to be local on the ground for the model to, to make it work. Uh, but you can make it work and it can really fly. And so I see that there's so much potential in this region. And I think for me, the other region why I'm so excited about investing in Asia-Pacific is, I mean, if I invest 5K in the United States, it's gone the next day. You know, nothing. If I invest 5K in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, in Vietnam, in the Philippines, people can maybe work for for a year for that salary, right? You can actually make an impact. You can help the economic growth. uh, You can help the organization. They can actually achieve something with 5K. And so for me, that's another very exciting element, just for me personally as an investor, to invest in uh, Asia Pacific.
1: Yeah, I do have the perspective that here also people are more willing to experiment and innovate in order to get a product that solves a problem to market faster. You know, the flip side of that is we don't also have some of the same regulatory issues that you have in other markets. So, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Really depends case by case basis. But I do think, as you can see from all of the founders that uh, you and Hester are bringing to the table how much innovation there is in this part of the world but I want to now sort of start wrapping up and talk about some of the lessons that you might have at this stage of your journey and something that I was interested in is many successful founders that I've spoken to the business of theirs that has been successful was often not in fact their first one there was often a quote-unquote failure at some point in their journey. So I wanted to know if you'd had any failures, what they were and what you might have learned from them.
0: Failure is just always such a word, right? What does failure really mean? I think, I mean, I definitely have massive pivots in my life. Um, So for me, yeah, those pivotal moments that come with a lot of uncertainty, like as I told you specifically when we moved to the U.S., um it was so scary and i really thought like oh my goodness you know this is this is not going to work out i have to go back and and those critical moments mean it's it's not a failure at that well it didn't work at that moment right so You can look back on it as as being a failure because you had to change certain things. You had to change certain patterns, certain behaviors. Um, The same thing indeed when switching from the corporate life to the business model life. I mean, moving even from Europe to the US, from the US to, to Singapore, the culture is so different. You can't just keep on doing what you've been doing. You have to adapt and you have to change. And I think that, that for me is the key thing. You have to stay curious and you have to stay open to different perspectives. Um, because I mean, here in Singapore, I mean, we arrived in the middle of COVID. We thought it was the end of it, but we learned afterwards it was only the beginning. Um, and I mean, things happened here in Asia that I couldn't wrap my head around. It was like, how, how does this work? They're locking people up, right? You can't leave the country. What what kind of stuff is this? Uh, where uh, it was very difference from the perspective that i have i mean i'm also professor at a university here in singapore and i've been doing that as well in in europe and also in the united states i love that because then you get all these 20 year olds um that are sharing their perspective and i'm like that's so different (laughs) from how i would do it but for me that's so refreshing to to just think about that talk about that i mean and i I go on a hike every month with a, a woman and she is 100% Singaporean and I can always ask her that question, like, Kelly, explain to me, why is it this way? Because I don't get it, right, from my perspective, but please help me to understand it. And that that brings the most beautiful insights, um, I think. And I think as long as in life, in entrepreneurship, you're open for those different perspectives. Even, why do my customers not buy my stuff? Do you call it a failure? I don't know. I mean, you need to be open for it. Like, hey, I learned that that didn't work. And then I pivoted. And now I understand why that didn't work for that specific context. You just have
1: to have to adapt every time. I think that that's critical. I also think it says a lot about your mindset and the way you view the world that for you, you don't really look at things as failure, but more as opportunities to pivot. And I think also maybe um, take on some of the advice that you were talking about earlier and what you look for in a founder, someone who's not so wedded to their idea or their way of doing things that they can't be flexible. So I guess this is a related question, but if you were to give a piece of advice to female founders out there, what would it be? Stop the analysis paralysis.
0: Really just launch the thing, whatever it is that you're working on. Don't think you need to perfect it before you can launch it. it means one of my favorite quotes from Silicon Valley, if you're not embarrassed of your first launch, you launch too late. It's by Reid Hoffman from LinkedIn. And that is so true. And I do feel that women are every time like, no, 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 not, not yet ready. Not yet ready. I still need to add this to it or that to it. Just launch it and be okay that it's not perfect uh, because it isn't perfect. Then get feedback from your customers and then you adjust. Right. So I think that's stop the analysis paralysis
1: yeah. Also something that I have to do myself all the time. <laughs> Me uh, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I need to tell it to myself all the time as well. Yeah. Yes.
1: So what's next for Epic Angels? What's coming up? How can people join the network and how can founders submit um, pitches to you? Yes. We're almost at
0: 200 female angels right now, which is just amazing. And a year and a half since we really opened our doors. Um, So definitely want to grow. Right now, what we see, we invest between 50 and 100K into every startup. I want to make sure that we can comfortably say that we always invest about 100K if we decide to invest into that startup. That means uh, we need to get a little bit more angels uh, on board uh, to get to that critical mass. And also, of course, it means we need to get the, those good startups that we really love to, uh, to participate in. So it is that combination that we're looking for. I mean, how amazing would that be if you, if you look at like, hey, what's, what's my dream? Where would I would like to take this maybe next year? Uh, I would like to comfortably need invest 100K in every startup that knocks on our door. And meaning that in a year, we can probably do about a million dollars in investments. That would, I think, really make an impact in the startup scene. Um, and that will, that will help everyone that's out there. So indeed, if people want to join, they can always go to our website, epicangelnetwork.com. And on there, there's a join us button if you want to join as an investor and also a pitch your startup button. If you want to submit your pitch to Epic Angels, Um, just put it in there. Just make a reference to this podcast if you hear that because then you're certain that I'll actually get on a call with you Uh, because we get a lot of cold inbound um, um, pitches from startups typically that doesn't work Uh, try always to find a connection as a founder and
1: use this one in the podcast as a connection just be smart about that I hope you are listening to that tell Micah and Hester I I listened to your podcast on the purpose effect and uh, this is my startup exactly exactly I'll promise you if you put that in there I'll get on a call with you so, um, yes, so here, can make that happen. Thank you so much, Micah. I've really enjoyed this chat and it is it is an amazing network to be a part of. I've met so many amazing women, so many amazing founders, and I've learned so much. So I really encourage all women who feel like uh, investing in startups might be a good part of their sort of portfolio and their investment portfolio to to join Epic Angels. Thanks, Elena, for
0: giving me the opportunity to speak about this uh, on your podcast. Thank you.
1: If you're building a business and you're looking for investment, reach out to Epic Angels and tell Micah that you listened to this podcast. All the details on how to get in touch are in the show notes. I think my big takeaway from this conversation was the relationship between not waiting for something to be perfect before launching and not being afraid to kill your darling. If you wait for something to be perfect and it doesn't work, It's that much harder to kill your darling. So I guess the message is, don't try to make darlings. Make works in progress. You'll be getting a special solo episode from me next week, because I'll be connecting the dots on how to build your business through partnerships based on all the lessons we've learned this season. Don't worry, I won't make it too long. You'll hear from me again next week. Bye.